Father, we come before you in his name because his name is the only one through whom we can come to you. We come to you this morning recognizing again how desperately in need of you we are. And how gracious you are in supplying yourself through your Son, through the indwelling presence of your Spirit. And thank you. Father, as we today celebrate Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, with one another in this place, we are reminded even today of how very offensive the gospel is in this world. And so we pray for brothers and sisters, this morning especially in Sri Lanka, who have been targeted and attacked because of the Christian faith. Father, we ask for healing, and we ask for a bold proclamation of the gospel in that place. That people would be reminded that even as our Lord faced death, death is not the end, but simply a glorious beginning of the Father, we pray today that we would be encouraged by the hope of the resurrection, we pray that Jesus would be magnified. And we pray in his name. Amen.
On this Resurrection Day, as on every Lord's Day, our minds are rightly filled with the overwhelming thought that Jesus has overcome. He's overcome the grave. He lives. The Bible tells us that He lives interceding for us at this moment. And it, it is the, uh, the hope of the church, the resurrection of Jesus. It's the hope of mankind. It's the hope of the world that Jesus has come back from the dead and is now in heaven as we await His glorious return for His people one day. My prayer for you this morning is that you will see Jesus, our worthy Savior. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 5. It's easy to find the back of the book and just go forward a few pages until you come to chapter 5 in the book of Revelation. As you are turning there, I just want to remind you of how the Bible is filled with the accounts, the lives of men and women who because of their faith in God faced incomprehensible difficulties in life. Perhaps, perhaps you, like I have at times, have wondered, maybe they thought it was worth it. I mean, just to really, just to really get down to brass tacks, is it worth it? Perhaps we could talk to Abraham and say, Abraham, was it worth it for you to leave your home and wander around Canaan to live in a tent and at the end of it all, from your perspective, to have nothing really to show for it except for unfulfilled promises? Or maybe Moses. Moses, was it worth it to you to give up the pleasures and the treasures of Egypt to lead two million former slaves through the wilderness for 40 years to never even step foot in the promised land? Maybe we could ask Jeremiah, Jeremiah, was it worth it to preach for over 60 years and never have even one positive response to the message? Daniel? Was it worth it to pray and yet wind up in the lion's den? Isaiah, was it worth it to volunteer for service to God by saying, here am I, send me, when as a result of that service, he was ripped apart between two wild animals? Maybe we could ask John the Baptist, was it worth it to speak truth to Herod's face and to lose your head over that? Mary, was it worth it to say, be it to me according to your will, when submission to that very will resulted in you standing and seeing your son crucified on a Roman cross? Peter, was it worth it to open the door for the gospel to be presented to the Gentiles only to be crucified upside down as a result of that? Paul, was it worth it to preach the gospel only to be stoned, to de stoned, thrown into prison, put to death eventually at the hands of the Romans? John, was it worth it to preach the gospel to lead the churches only to wind up on the island of Patmos in exile? Was it worth it? Was it worth it to all of these who have gone before us? Was it worth it to live for Jesus, to live for God? Was it worth it to do what you did? I imagine that every single one of them would this moment, if asked that question, say to you, yes, it was worth it because He is worth it. 
This morning, I want you to go with me to the throne room of heaven. John, the apostle, has received this divine vision of things to come. And he sees and he describes for us as best as he possibly can what takes place around the throne of God in heaven. No doubt the thought running through John's mind. The question for which he seeks an answer is this. Is there anyone who is worthy to have dominion and sovereign control over this world? As we open up Revelation chapter 5, you see in the beginning verses the search for one who is worthy. Look at verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. The scroll that John sees as he sees God the Father seated on the throne. And there is in the right hand of the Father's hand a scroll. The scroll is sealed with seven seals, which will, if you continue to read the book of Revelation, will be opened in in successive order in chapters 6, 7, and 8 of this very book. And from what happens when those seals are opened, it appears that the writing on the scroll is related to the events that will bring history to its appointed conclusion. John looks at this scroll, this scroll that is in essence the title deed of all the earth. Who is worthy to open this scroll? Who is worthy to take ownership of all that there is? And as John here is enraptured at the beautiful sights and the sounds of heaven, suddenly his attention is focused on an angel, a mighty angel as he describes to us, who proclaims in a loud voice, who is worthy? To open the scroll and to break its seals. This this mighty angel calls out with a loud voice so that it might reach to the very edges of this existent universe to every spot that there is that God has created. Who is worthy? Is there anyone who is worthy? Is there anyone who deserves to rule and to reign? Is there anyone who deserves to have control over all of creation? What is the result of the call that goes out? And no one, verse 3, in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. Is anyone worthy, the the angel calls. And in answer to the question, there is silence. No one is found who is worthy. Oh, there there are many who are willing. There were many who would like to rule the world. King Nebuchadnezzar of ancient Babylon. King Darius of ancient Persia. Alexander the Great. Attila the Hun. Genghis Khan. Napoleon. Lenin. Hitler. Stalin. All of them were willing to rule the world, but not one of them was worthy. To rule the world. 
We read in verse 3 that no one in heaven is found who is worthy. Even the mighty angel who proclaimed the question, Michael, the warrior archangel, Gabriel, the announcing angel, Enoch, who is now in heaven, the one who walked so closely with God that one day he walked right into heaven. Abraham, whom God called his friend. Sarah, who by faith conceived and had a child at 90 years of age. Moses. The meekest man in all the earth. Samson, the strongest man in all the world. David, a man after God's own heart. Solomon, the wisest in all the earth. Elijah, who did not see death, but was instead called up into heaven in a chariot of fire. Isaiah, the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. Even John the Baptist, of whom Jesus said, no one else has been born who is greater than he. Not even Mary, the mother of our Lord. Not even Peter, who preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people responded to the message of the gospel. Not even Paul, the greatest evangelist of all time, the human author of much of the New Testament. Not even James and John, who had proclaimed to Jesus in his discipling ministry. We want to sit at either side of you when you come into your kingdom. Even John, who was recording the vision that he had been given, none of them is worthy. We're told that none of them on the earth is worthy. No one in the world of science, no one in the world of philosophy, no one in the world of politics, no president, no king, no prime minister, no ruler, no dictator, none of them is worthy. No one under the earth is worthy as well to open the scroll and look into it. No one is worthy and it produces such a reaction from John. John says that I began to weep loudly in verse 4 because no one was found worthy to open the scrolls. What a reaction it produces from John to realize that there is no one who is willing to open the scroll. Why does he sob? Why does he weep at this thought? Well, friends, quite simply, he weeps because he understands that if no one is worthy to open the scroll, it's all in vain. It's empty. All of the martyrs have died for a lost cause. There is no future. There is no hope. Sin has really conquered. Death really does reign. Satan has truly won. This world will not be redeemed. Jesus will not return for his people. God will not reign in glory in the new heavens and the new earth. If the scroll is unopened, the promises of the Bible do not come true. Hope is defeated. It's no wonder that John weeps. It's interesting to me that this is the only time that we find where tears are recorded in heaven. But John, hold on. The tears are immature right now. They've come too early, John. Just like Jesus when he was entering into the city of Nain and there is a widow who is walking out escorting the coffin that holds the body of her dead son. Of course she is weeping, but Jesus says to her, don't cry. Just like Jesus when he speaks to Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue whose daughter has become ill and has died. Jesus looks to him and says to him, stop crying. Don't weep right now because something is about to happen. The search for the worthy one finds no one. But then John sees something. Look at verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. There it is. 
John, your tears are immature. Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Weep no more, John. And John sees the worthy one. It's interesting that the elder comes to him, this, this elder, this being in heaven. He encourages John, and note how he encourages him. He doesn't say to him, oh, John, listen, it's really not as bad as you think it is. He doesn't say to him, oh, John, listen, you just need to suck it up, buddy. You just need to get over it. He doesn't say to him, John, you just need to get over whatever sadness there is going on and you need to go on with life. He doesn't do anything like that. He uses the language of the Bible to announce that Jesus has triumphed and that God has kept his promises. Just as an aside, let me say to you this morning, when you are discouraged, look to Jesus, the one who is worthy. There's a lot to be discouraged about in this world. We, we could run around bemoaning and welling and living in discouragement, but as long as there is Jesus, there's hope. And John sees the one who is worthy. He's worthy because of creation. If you'll go back just a page or so in your Bible to Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, look at what you read there. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Because you created all things. By your will, they existed and were created. He is worthy because of creation. He brought it into existence and he sustains it even to this very moment. He's worthy because of Calvary. Look at verse 9 in Revelation chapter 5 and look at what John writes for us there. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. Why? For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. He is worthy because of creation. He is worthy because of Calvary. He has ransomed through His death and through His sacrifice that we might be made whole. He's worthy because of the crown. We're told also in verse 5, the elder said, Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, descended from that great king, the greatest in all of Israel's history, King David, the one through whom God established and prospered Israel. And here you have the one who is worthy. He wears the eternal crown as ruler, as majesty, as Lord, as king. While he was on this earth, the Romans placed a crown of thorns upon his head. But now in heaven, he wears a crown of gold. It's the victor's crown that he wears because he is victorious over death. He is victorious over sin. He is victorious over hell. As the poet has said, the head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned in glory now. A royal diadem adorns the mighty victor's brow. Friends, understand today, because he is worthy, he is not the best hope for this world. He is not the greatest hope for this world. Jesus is the only hope for this world. But look also, continuing in verse 5, the symbol of the worthy one. Much symbolic language in the book of Revelation. And here we see some of it. Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne 
And the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Here comes the line of the tribe of Judah, an Old Testament phrase referencing the promised Savior to come. That is Jesus, the Lamb of God, we're told in verse 5. The lion has conquered the lamb he sees now has been slain in fact this is how the lion has conquered it's not just any lamb that john sees it's it's a it's a little pet lamb if you will reminder of the passover lamb back in the old testament before god delivered his people out of egypt and out of bondage and slavery there They were to take a lamb, a lamb that was perfect, a lamb without spot or without blemish, and that lamb was to be brought into the home with them for seven days. And then at the end of that time, that lamb was to be slaughtered, showing the seriousness of sin against a holy and righteous God. As the lion, he's powerful enough to save. As the lamb, he is precious enough to save. And then we see here in this description of what he is like, that he is not just the lion, he's not just the lamb, but ultimately he is Lord. We're told that that there are seven eyes, seven horns, seven spirits. Horns indicative of the power that he has. Seven, the number of perfection. And so here you have Jesus in perfect power, the omnipotent one. You have the seven eyes uh, indicative of the knowledge that he has. He is the omniscient one. You see the seven spirits indicative of his presence among us. He is the omnipresent one. And here is the lamb standing as though it had been slain. Victorious. Victorious in what he accomplished for us. A lamb that was slain does not stand. Unless that lamb is Jesus. And then he lives again. Can you imagine what it will be like? Can you imagine what you will experience? Just think about it. It will be marvelous to see the gates of pearl. It will be wonderful to walk upon those streets of gold. It will be fascinating to hear the legions of angels as they sing praise to God. It will be interesting to walk upon the sea of glass. It will be refreshing to drink from the river of life. It will be stimulating to talk to Abraham, to David, to Moses, to Paul, to John, to all of the others. But friends, it will be heaven to be with Jesus. That's what makes the difference. There's the search. For the worthy one. John sees the worthy one. The symbol of the worthy one. And then look to the song. To the worthy one in verse 8. When he had taken the scroll. The four living creatures. Twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb. Each holding a harp. And golden bowls full of incense. Which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. They sang a new song there. This should be our response to an encounter with Jesus. That we fall before him in worship, in praise, in adoration. Think of the songs that we sing. 
And imagine being the choir director for this majestic chorus of voices that crescendos larger and larger with each stanza. Could we see the songs that we sing today? Perhaps we would sing, Count Your Blessings. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking God. No, 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 no. We can't sing that song. There'll be no more discouragement in heaven. There'll be no billows tossing us back and forth. Well, let's toss that one. Let's sing the second verse instead. Are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavier? No, no, we can't sing that. The burdens are gone. The cross is removed from us. Well, I know one we can sing. Let's sing I Must Tell Jesus. That's a good song. I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear these burdens. No, we can't sing that. No more trials in heaven. Well, all right, let's skip down to verse 4. Oh, how this world to evil allures me. Oh, how my heart is tempted to sin. We cannot sing that song in heaven. We will not be allured to evil. Sin's temptations will be there no more. Let's find another song. I know one we love. I know a song we love. It is well with my soul. Certainly that one fits. When peace like a river attends my way. Oh, yes. When sorrows like sea. No, we cannot sing that in heaven where sorrows do not enter in. Well, let's go down to verse 2 then. Though Satan should buffet, those trials should come. Heaven's the graciousness. No, we cannot sing that song in heaven. Choir director, you're fired. We're going to sing a new song in heaven. And what does it consist of? Look at verse 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. There's a new song that we sing in heaven. And then what's amazing is, John looks around in verse 11, I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels. This small chorus singing this new song. And suddenly the angels from all the realms of creation hear the voices beginning, hear the sounds of praise, and they come along to say, we too will sing the praises of the Lamb. And what are they saying? Verse 12, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. All that He receives throughout eternity. He came in weakness, but He's going to reign in power. He became the poorest of the poor, but unto Him belongs all the wealth of this universe. Men called Him foolish, but He's the wisdom of the ages. Men mocked at His meekness, but He will be praised for His might. He was butchered like a lamb, but He will receive the honor of a king. He was rejected in shame, but He will be bathed in glory. He became a curse for the sinner, but He will receive the blessing of the saints. And now, as the chorus continues to swell. In verse 13, all of creation joins in. 
And I heard now every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. It's the only thing you can say. To the praise of Jesus, the only thing you can say is, Amen, so be it, let it be so. As another one has so eloquently put it, He was bruised and brought healing. He was pierced and eased pain. He was persecuted and brought freedom. He was dead and brought healing. He is risen and brings power. He reigns and brings peace. He's the one who is worthy. Because He has conquered death. And because He has purchased salvation for all who believe in Him and who trust in Him. Because He is able to do what no one else can do. Provide salvation. Because in His death and in His resurrection, He accomplished salvation for all who would follow Him. So the question comes back to us today. Is He worth? He is. He is absolutely, magnificently, indescribably worthy. The question for you today is this. Do you know him? Do you know this Jesus who is worthy? We celebrate this day. The fact that He went to the cross. He died in your place. Your sins put upon Him. He was buried. And yet because He was sinless, death could not hold Him. And up from the grave, He arose. A mighty victor for His foes. He died so that you might live. He died. So that you might be forgiven. Do you know him today? Father, this morning, we thank you. We thank you that as undeserving as we are, we have a Savior who is worthy. We have a Savior who is willing to pay the price that we might know you, that we might be forgiven, that we might have salvation. Father, I pray today that we might simply 